Okay, this evening uh, we're getting into uh, day six with the creation of the, the animals and of uh, mankind. And uh, mankind is the crowning pinnacle achievement of God that will uh, bring a completion to his, his very good creation. Uh, in days one through three, as I'm uh, sure you know, uh, ad nauseum, uh, God was... Uh, he was creating environments uh, and making them productive and inhabitable uh, for all of the creatures. Uh, and then days four through six, especially, uh, he's been filling all of those uh, productive environments uh, with the, uh, the stars and the heavens and with the birds and the fish and now a beast and man. Uh, and then uh, days Three and six, if you remember, we talked about this on day three. Uh, they're somewhat unique uh, because God uh, introduces speech twice uh, and he gives uh, two different commands for, uh, for creation. Uh, on day three, uh, first he uh, gathered the waters together and, uh, and made the dry land appear and then created the vegetation. Uh, and then on day six, he'll be beasts and man. Uh, but on day six, it's also unique because uh, God speaks another uh, two times for four times total. Uh, the third time to bless uh, and the fourth time uh, to give the vegetation to all of his creatures. Uh, and then uh, day six and three uh, pretty strongly correspond to one another. Uh, because the environments were created of the, uh, the, the land and the vegetation was created and the uh, animals and man populate the land. However, he also created the seas and the, the fish uh, populated that on day uh, five. So it's, it's not as neat and tidy as uh, many commentators have, have made it out to be. And then uh, he puts everything under man's feet. Uh, they created on the, the previous days all the animals in their environments, uh, the earth, uh, and then vegetation he'll give to all of his creatures. Uh, and then, uh, just to, to remind you of the, uh, the, the primary theme of Genesis that we talked about in uh, our uh, overview of Genesis 1, uh, God, the eternal, uncreated creator and universal sovereign in the span of six days, sovereignly creates all things very good, including the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything in them, for the dominion, blessing, and flourishing of mankind, created according to his image, and for the blessing and flourishing of the rest of his creation, and uh, for, for all of the, the creatures. And it's all, all to God's glory, and uh, by putting man and making him a rule on God's behalf in the creation. Uh, it's for the flourishing dominion and blessing in man, of man, but also for the flourishing and blessing of uh, all of his creatures in creation. Uh, and then day six has uh, components like all of the other days uh, and with the first uh, command uh, to, uh, for the earth to bring forth living creatures uh, and then followed by a report that it was so, it came to pass, uh, followed by the action of God actually making the, the beasts of the earth, uh, followed by uh, an evaluation. And so 
uh, you have one report, one evaluation, and then you're going to have a second report and second evaluation at the, the very end. Uh, and so then with the uh, second speech of command, uh, it's to create man uh, in his own image, uh, followed by the action of actually creating them, uh, and then a speech of a blessing uh, that they should be fruitful and multiply and have dominion, uh, and then a speech of giving, uh, the, the provision of vegetation to uh, all of his creatures, uh, followed by a final report and evaluation. Uh, those are the second of day uh, six, and those close not just day six, uh, but all of the days, uh, indicating that everything that God commanded came to pass, uh, and behold, uh, it was all uh, very good. Uh, and then uh, tonight, uh, we'll look briefly at God's a decree or command for the beasts to come into existence. But we pretty much covered that last week, uh, talking about the birds and the fish. So we'll just summarize that. Uh, and then we'll look at God's command to create man uh, in his image. Uh, and that's probably where we'll spend the, the rest of our time. And uh, we'll probably have to briefly uh, cover uh, some of the rest of it uh, next week uh, with our, our final week. And so uh, let's read days three through six together. Or make that four through six, starting at verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening and there is morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in it, in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And so now uh, let's look at the God's uh, command or decree uh, for the, the animals, the beasts of the earth. Uh, and then we'll look at God's command to create man uh, in his own image. And so in verses 24 and 25, uh, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Uh, and it was so. Uh, let's just stop there. Uh, and just notice, again, a God, by his authoritative word, uh, by his decree, uh, brings all the creatures into existence uh, by a special act of creation, uh, a very act of, uh, of God. Uh, and it's by... God's word that he uh, creates all things, uh, that he uh, gives them life, uh, that he uh, sustains uh, their existence in his creation. Uh, it's all by his uh, authoritative, powerful word. Uh, and now, uh, in addition to the, uh, the, the birds uh, of the, the, the sky uh, and the, the fish of the sea, uh, now the, the land is being uh, filled, the, the land that was prepared on uh, day three. Uh, and we see, again, this idea of living creatures that we uh, talked about last time. Uh, let the earth bring forth living creatures uh, according to their kinds. Uh, the living creatures include uh, all of animal life, uh, but humans are also living creatures, and that's a one thing that they have in co common uh, with the animals, but soon we'll see what sets uh, humanity apart. Uh, and then the, the living creatures in verse 24, uh, according to their kinds, include uh, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth, uh, according uh, to their kinds. Uh, and so we uh, see, as many commentators point out, we have livestock, we have uh, domestic animals, uh, animals like cattle and sheep and goats and such and uh, and then uh, creeping things probably uh, smaller critters that that go along the 
uh, the ground and maybe even uh, reptiles, things that move about. Uh, and then the, the beasts of the, the earth, uh, all the, the wildlife. And this just represents uh, everything that God created, all the, the varieties of animal life uh, in uh, the, the, the world and on the land. Uh, and also, uh, again, they're created uh, according uh, to their kinds. And uh, language is flexible, and so uh, it could be that this word could be used in a, a variety of ways and in different contexts. But uh, generally, biblical kinds uh, focus on the, the boundaries of, of reproduction, whether they can re- reproduce, whether they can have a young, and those distinguish the, the distinct kinds. And uh, we'll see when we get to Noah uh, and the ark uh, in Genesis chapter 7 uh, that they go two by two, male and female, uh, each according to their kinds so that life can be preserved. And uh, then after the, the time of the, the flood, uh, they can leave the ark and repopulate the land and uh, diversify it with all the, the varieties that are produced uh, within, within their kinds, within the cat kind, within the dog kind, within the horse kind, and in all of their uh, varieties. Uh, and so that, that's pretty much review of what, what we covered last week, just uh, applying it to the, uh, the land animals. Uh, and now I want to look at God's uh, decree uh, or command to create humanity in his image and after his likeness. Uh, and we'll be considering uh, two uh, major issues. Uh, the first is, who is God referring to when he says, let us make man in our image, uh, in, in the plural? Uh, who, is, who is he addressing? Who, who, uh, who, who is uh, us? Let us uh, make man. Uh, And then the the second uh, major issue is what does it mean uh, for humanity to be created uh, in the image of God uh, after his uh, likeness? Uh, These things have been uh, discussed and many, many books and pages and lots of ink has been spilt uh, trying to study God's word and uh, understand these things. So uh, hopefully we can grasp at least uh, the basic idea of what, what Moses wants us to, to grasp. Uh, and so in verse 26, uh, it says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on uh, the earth. Uh, and now, notice, we, we haven't really uh, pointed this out explicitly, uh, but uh, this, uh, what you can call the speech orienter, uh, God said, uh, or a quotative frame, it, it introduces speech, uh, it orients the speech, uh, so that the, the listener knows who's, who's speaking. Uh, after this introduction of speech, God gives two exhortations. The first one is to make man in our image after our likeness. And then the second is to give him dominion. And we'll see that his actions and blessings correspond to this. And so this brings us to the first major issue. To whom is God referring when he says... Uh, let us 
uh, make a man in our image and after our likeness. Uh, who is he addressing? And this is important for understanding the image of God because he says, uh, our image, let us make man. Who, who makes man? Is someone involved uh, in this with, with God? Uh, and now there are three other examples uh, where God refers to himself uh, in the plural uh, and then acts alone. Because uh, we'll, we'll see in the action, uh, he says, let us make man, but then it will say, God made man in his image, uh, singular. Uh, and so uh, another example of this is in uh, Genesis 3, uh, verse uh, 22. Uh, then the Lord God said, uh, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. Uh, so there again, uh, that man become like one of us, uh, plural. Uh, and then uh, another example uh, is in uh, Genesis 11 uh, with the Tower of Babel, uh, verse 7. Uh, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth uh, and they left off uh, building the, the city. So th this is something we're going to come across a, a few times uh, in uh, Genesis. And so it's, it's important to figure out who is, who is this us? Who is he talking to? Uh, now, there, there are several uh, explanations that have been uh, presented regarding this. Uh, and the first explanation, we're, we're not going to cover all of them because there are too many, uh, and a lot of them just don't really hold, hold much water. Uh, so we'll, we'll take the, the more serious, major uh, ones. Uh, and the, the first one uh, that people have talked about uh, is that uh, perhaps he's addressing uh, the, the heavenly host, uh, the, the, the angels in his uh, throne room in the heavens. Uh, because there are places elsewhere in scripture uh, where you, you see a heavenly court uh, and the angels uh, and God uh, deliberating and uh, asking uh, questions and uh, addressing uh, the, the, the angels in the, the heavens. And so uh, some suggest that it's that. Uh, so for example, the, the NET Bible notes, uh, they uh, support this idea, and they uh, they say, uh, in its ancient Israelite context, the plural is most naturally understood as referring to God and his heavenly court. And they provide uh, several verses, 1 Kings chapter 22, uh, Job 1, Job 2, Isaiah 6. Uh, they go on, uh, if this is the case, God invites the heavenly court to participate in the creation of humankind, uh, perhaps in the role of offering praise. Uh, see Job 38, verse 7. Uh, but he himself is the one who does the actual creative work. Verse 27. Of course, this view does assume that the members of the heavenly court uh, possess the divine image in some way. Since the image is closely associated with rulership, uh, perhaps they share the divine image in that 
they, together with God and under his royal authority, are the executive authority over uh, the world. Uh, now, there, there are several uh, problems uh, with this view. That's the, the heavenly host or court, court of angels. Uh, and the, the first major problem, and it, it's pretty big, uh, is that uh, in Genesis 1, uh, a heavenly host hasn't been introduced into the narrative. Uh, typically, uh, in, a, in a story, in a, a historical narrative, Typically, participants must be first introduced into the narrative uh, before uh, they're referred to. Uh, and so they have to try and argue that it's referring to a heavenly host that hasn't been referred to and that Moses is just popping it in uh, right in the, the middle of dialogue. Uh, but uh, we have some other examples where the heavenly host is uh, and they're first introduced into the narrative. Uh, for example, 1 Kings 22, uh, verse, starting with verse 19. Uh, and Micaiah said, uh, and he's addressing uh, King, king Ahab, uh, an evil, uh, evil pagan king. And Micaiah said, uh, and this is a prophet of God, uh, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spear came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Uh, now, do, do you see before the, the dialogue, uh, the, the Lord uh, and his heavenly host were introduced uh, into the narrative. They, they have to be introduced so that the, the listeners, the audience is aware of it so that the, the following story uh, in dialogue will, will make sense so they can follow along. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said. Uh, and then in Job 1, uh, beginning in verse 6, uh, we have a similar picture. Uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Uh, the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? Uh, so do, do you see again? Uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The narrator has to introduce them so the audience can follow along and, and make sense of it. But uh, in Genesis 1, uh, has a heavenly host been introduced anywhere? Uh, have angels been introduced anywhere uh, in Genesis 1? Uh, no. Uh, and so when a pronoun is used, us, 
uh, it's really reaching out on a limb uh, to look for, for participants that don't belong. Uh, now, if there aren't any other good ex explanations, then uh, maybe this is the, the best we have, but uh, we'll find out about that. Uh, and there's a, a second problem. Uh, our image is parallel to God's image. Uh, it says uh, God created them in his uh, image. Uh, and so the two are parallel. Our image is the same as uh, God's image. Uh, and throughout uh, the Bible in Genesis, uh, we find repeatedly that uh, the, the image of God uh, is bestowed upon man and that it's God's image. It's never called uh, the heavenly host's image. It's not called the, the image of the angels or uh, any such thing. And uh, nowhere uh, is it said uh, that the angels bear uh, the image of God uh, in the likeness of God as man does. Uh, now, some are trying to argue in verse 26 uh, that it's there, but it, it's nowhere made uh, explicit uh, and so it's pretty flimsy ground to establish a, do a biblical doctrine or teaching uh, just on, on a, a really weak inference uh, and a, a weak interpretation. Uh, and then uh, a third uh, and final uh, problem, uh, last one we'll, we'll talk about, uh, Matthews, uh, Kenneth Matthews introduces, uh, and he also mentions the first and the second, and then he'll... Uh, he'll talk about the third. So let me just quote from him. Uh, the overriding problem with this view is that there has been no mention of an angelic court in chapter 1. And the text is clear that mankind is made in God's image, uh, his image, verse 27. More important, uh, the narrative has shown by its theological stance that God has no antecedent partner or source for creation. Uh, no one who goes before him, uh, no one who uh, cooperates. Uh, the sudden introduction of a heavenly court dim diminishes the force of the presentation. Uh, to answer this, some suggest that though he consulted with the heavenly court, God alone created man, and hence he alone is the source of the image. But such a resolution is odd since it undermines the very contention of the angel view, namely that God consulted with the heavenly court uh, when, in fact, the consultation had no appreciable uh, meaning. And so he's just pointing out uh, Moses' big theological point is that God is the uncreated creator. He's the creator uh, of all uh, things, and he has no equal uh, he's uncreated, he's eternal, he brought all things into existence by his word, by his power, uh, and also with his life-giving uh, spirit. Uh, and so uh, th this first interpretation that it's a, a heavenly court that God is addressing uh, is, has really, really serious uh, problems and, and difficulties. And so it's not not a strong interpretation, and you, you always want to go uh, with the, the strongest uh, one. Uh, and now these next two uh, involve God speaking uh, to himself. Uh, and with, with the first one, uh, individually, uh, with the second one, uh, within the, the plurality, within the one being 
uh, of God. Uh, and so, as Christians would say, the, the Trinity, uh, the, the Spirit, uh, the, the Son. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, beginning with uh, speaking to himself, uh, some have suggested that it's, it's uh, self-deliberation. Uh, or uh, that it could be an exhortation uh, of sorts. Uh, so first, with self-deliberation, uh, Matthews explains... Uh, the fourth viewpoint, uh, he covered more than we're going to, uh, considers, uh, let us make a plural of self-deliberation. Uh, depicting God anthropomorphically as someone in contemplation. Uh, anthropomorphically is just, just speaking in human terms. Uh, although God isn't a human, uh, God doesn't uh, necessarily uh, have vocal cords or, or things like that. And uh, God doesn't have... Uh, human limbs and body parts, but often talks about like God's arm, God saved by his, his right arm. Well, God doesn't really have an arm. It's anthropomorphically speaking in human terms that, that we understand. Uh, so uh, a plural of self-deliberation depicting God anthropomorphically as someone in contemplation. Uh, this is supported by the change uh, to the singular, his own image in verse 27 which indicates that the figure of deliberation is completed. Uh, in ancient myths, divine deliberation uh, prefaces the creation of humans. Uh, Self-deliberation is attested in the Old Testament. Uh, he points to Psalms uh, 42, uh, verses 5 and 11, and 43, uh, verse 5. But... There is no attestation that the plural form is used uh, in this way. And Gordon, Gordon Wenham adds, uh, this interpretation is uncertain for parallels to this usage are very rare. Uh, quote uh, from a scholar named Kleins, uh, if we accept this view, it will not be for its merits, but for its comparative lack of disadvantages. Uh, however, uh, it could also be a, a type of uh, exhortation uh, where God is announcing uh, what he's uh, about to do. Uh, and so, uh, for example, uh, we see this uh, something similar in Genesis 11 uh, verses uh, 3 through 6. Uh, and they said to one another, and the, these are the nations and the peoples that gathered together to build the, the Tower of Babel, uh, come let us make bricks uh, and burn them thoroughly. Uh, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Uh, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, then a little while later in verse 7, uh, God seems to be mimicking uh, them. Uh, come, uh, let us go down and there confuse their language. Uh, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them. Uh, and so it might just be an exhortation uh, in just prefacing what, what he's about, uh, about to do. Uh, and also, for example, in uh, Psalm 2, verse, uh, starting verse 2 and then 3, uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, uh, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. 
and so here you, you can see their exhortation of what they're, what they're about to, to do, what they're preparing to do. Uh, the, the one problem uh, with this, perhaps, uh, is that uh, examples uh, with an individual referring to himself uh, in the, the plural uh, seem to be lacking, uh, maybe ex except for the, the, the few that we find in uh, Genesis and other co contexts. There's clearly there are clearly uh, other individuals uh, involved, and so we, we again have the contrast between a, a singular and a, a plural. Uh, and so uh, th this uh, one seems. Uh, Fairly, fairly reasonable uh, as an explanation. Uh, but uh, for a third uh, explanation, uh, it would be God speaking uh, to the, the, the other members of uh, the, the Godhead. Uh, Godhead just stands for the, the being uh, of God, the one being of God, the, the essence of God, what, what makes God, God. And uh, Matthews explains uh, although the Christian Trinity cannot be derived solely from the use of the plural, a plurality within the unity of the Godhead may be derived from the passage. Uh, this was the essential line of argument among the Reformers, who expanded this thought by appealing to the New Testament for corroboration. Our passage describes the result of God's creative act by both plural and singular pronouns, uh, the plural possessive, our image, uh, and the singular pronoun, his image, in verse 27. Uh, here, the unity and plurality of God are in view. Uh, the plural indicates an intradivine conversation, a plurality in the Godhead, uh, between God and his spirit, uh, by its reference to the spirit of God preparing the earth for the creative word, uh, in verse 2, the narrative permits a co-participant with God in creation. Moreover, Proverbs 8, verse 30, speaks of the personified wisdom as God's co-participant in creation. The later poets and prophets attribute the source of life to the Spirit. Uh, for example, Job 33, uh, Psalm 104, and Ezekiel 37. Uh, and so uh, at the beginning uh, of Genesis chapter 1, we saw uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, uh, preparing to, uh, to, to give life and uh, preparing its way, I think as Matthew says, uh, for the, the creative word of, of God. Uh, and so uh, this, this would fit God saying, let us uh, make man in our image uh, after our likeness. Uh, and God made man uh, in his image, referring to the, the one God, but there's plurality in the one God. Uh, and just as an example of this, we're going to see this again and again throughout Genesis. Uh, and we could give examples throughout the Pentateuch, the, the five books of Moses, uh, and uh, even beyond in the Old Testament, uh, and then in the, the New Testament, that there's plurality within uh, the one God. There's complexity within the one being of God. Uh, and so Genesis uh, 16, uh, the, the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh speaks to Hagar, 
uh, who bore uh, Abram's uh, first son, uh, Ishmael. Uh, and uh, here uh, we'll see uh, that the, the angel of Yahweh uh, is more than just any, uh, any other uh, messenger. Uh, for instance, uh, he blesses her uh, as God himself uh, blesses uh, in verse 10. Uh, the angel of Yahweh also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Uh, and then in verse 13, he bears the names Yahweh and God. Uh, so verse 13. Uh, so she called the name of Yah the, the name of uh, Yahweh who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Uh, and so here he's called Yahweh. So she called the name of the Lord, Yahweh, uh, who spoke to her. Yahweh spoke to her. Well, the, the angel of Yahweh spoke to her. The angel of Yahweh is himself Yahweh, uh, but he's distinct uh, from, from Yahweh. Uh, and so there's one Yahweh, but th there's plurality within the, the one Yahweh. You are a God of seeing. Uh, and then in uh, Genesis uh, 22 uh, with uh, Abraham, uh, uh, Yahweh, uh, the, the Lord, calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Uh, and uh, right in the nick of time when he's about to do it, the angel of Yahweh uh, appears to him. Uh, and he says in verse 12, uh, or let's, let's start in verse 11, uh, but the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Well, who commanded for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Yahweh did, the Lord. And he says, now I know that you fear God. Why? How does he know this? Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You didn't withhold him from me, the angel of Yahweh. Therefore, you fear God. Uh, you, you fear me. Uh, and then, uh, in verse 16, or let's start in verse 15. Uh, we'll see that he blesses, uh, as Yahweh does. Uh, and he's also called Yahweh. Uh, and the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, uh, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his uh, enemies. And so he go goes on. Uh, but again, uh, by myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh. It's the, the angel of Yahweh who is Yahweh. And th this is throughout the book of Genesis. It's throughout the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, the, the books uh, written, authored by Moses. Uh, you can find it in uh, Joshua, Judges, and 
throughout uh, the, the Old uh, Testament, even in some of the, uh, the later prophets, uh, as I recall, uh, Zechariah and uh, similar things, I think, in uh, Malachi. Uh, and so uh, some have called this uh, the, the Jewish Trinity. You, you, have, uh, you, you see the Spirit, uh, you see the angel of Yahweh, uh, who are uh, distinct from one another, but very closely uh, related. Uh, and each one is associated with Yahweh. Uh, and so uh, in uh, conclusion, uh, it appears to be uh, an exhortation uh, of, of sorts, God announcing uh, what he's, he's about to do. Uh, however, uh, the, the mismatch between the singular and the, the plural uh, makes it a very plausible and, and likely uh, with the, the rest of the testimony of Genesis uh, that uh, we're, we're seeing the plurality within the, the one God. And so uh, God uh, speaking uh, along with his spirit who's involved uh, in uh, creation. Uh, and so th- this is also important because uh, man is made uh, in the, the image uh, of God and after uh, his likeness, not after the, the likeness of the, the angels. And uh, there's no real sound support that the, the angels are made uh, exactly as man is here. And so a uh, man uh, is uh, unique. And uh, some who would say that's the heavenly host would still say, uh, well, he's just announcing to them what he's going to do, and uh, he still creates in his image. But uh, there, there are some who uh, go as far to say that uh, they uh, share in the, the, the image. Uh, and so uh, the, there's the first major issue. Uh, who does this uh, refer to? Let us make man in our image. Uh, and then the second major issue uh, is what it means to be created in the image and after the likeness of, of God. Uh, and uh, first, we'll look at the, the meanings uh, of the terms image and likeness uh, and then consider uh, some of the ways that, that man is like God. So in verse 26, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, And now uh, man, uh, Adam, this word can refer either to an individual uh, human uh, as, as an individual. Uh, it can refer to, uh, to uh, Adam. It, it can be used as a, a personal uh, name. Uh, as I recall, it is in Genesis chapter uh, 5 at the, at the very beginning. Uh, and it can also be used as a general term for a mankind or a human uh, kind. Uh, to just refer to uh, humanity uh, in in general and uh, collectively, uh, and here a man is being used uh, to refer to a human uh, kind. Uh, in chapter two, then uh, we'll focus on the the first uh, the first humans uh, as as individuals. Uh, and so God said, "Let us make man uh, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion 
a them. It's not just not just one. And we'll see that he created a man. He created them a male and female. Uh, and so uh, all humans, uh, male and uh, female, each and every one, uh, they all are made uh, in the image of God and after his likeness. And uh, this brings us to, to these words, uh, image uh, and likeness. Uh, and the, the first thing to, to recognize uh, is that these words are being used synonymously uh, and they're used interchangeably. Uh, and so uh, synonymously doesn't necessarily mean that they mean the exact same thing, but it means uh, that the uh, author uh, is focusing uh, more on their similarities uh, than their differences. He's highlighting their similarities. Uh, their similarities stand out. They're salient. They're prominent. Uh, and they're uh, interchangeable. Uh, so, for example, in Genesis uh, 1, uh, verse 26, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created uh, him. Uh, and there it's, it's again, it's parallel to what came before, even though it doesn't use the word likeness. It's, it's the same, same thing. Uh, and so uh, image can be used individually. They can be used together. Uh, in Genesis 5, verse uh, 1, uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Uh, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. A male and female, he created them. And so their likeness is used individually. It doesn't use uh, image of God right there. Uh, and then in verse 3, uh, when uh, Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image uh, and named him Seth. Uh, and so Seth is, uh, is uh, like uh, and correspondent uh, to his uh, father. And uh, there it's just used in the, the, the reverse order. Uh, and so they're uh, synonymous and they're, uh, they're interchangeable. Uh, and now the, the word uh, image. Let us make man in our uh, image. Uh, some definitions of this uh, from the Bible sense lexicon uh, is the, the visual appearance of something or someone, uh, an image, or they, uh, they gloss it, uh, a form. Uh, in uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Languages Hebrew, uh, the particular use that we're looking at, uh, he defines as, uh, he, he glosses it as image likeness, that is, that which is a pattern model or example of something. Uh, and he also gives uh, other uh, examples where it can refer to uh, an image can refer to an idol uh, where it's a, a image or representation of a false god uh, or it can refer to just any other sorts of uh, objects uh, two or three dimensional painted or sculptured uh, representation of something and not necessarily an object of, of worship. So in Second uh, Kings 11, verse 18, uh, we, uh, we see the, the, the images of, of Baal, uh, they refer to, that were 
that were destroyed and broken apart. Uh, and so these uh, were a sort of representation of uh, this Canaanite uh, Phoenician uh, deity, a ball, uh, to uh, represent him in uh, some sort of physical image or, or form that, that you would look at uh, in an idol. Uh, and then you can also refer to objects or, or models of something. Uh, so, for example, in uh, 1 Samuel 6, uh, if you remember when the Ark of Yahweh, the Ark of the Lord, was uh, taken away uh, from Shiloh and it was taken by the, the Philistines uh, and God judged them and brought a, a plague of tumors upon them and of mice uh, and, and disease, uh, how did they respond? Uh, well, uh, they created uh, images uh, of, uh, so you must make images of your tumors and images of your uh, mice. That sounds like a very strange thing to do, but gold and silver uh, representations uh, of the, the tumors and the, of the mice, uh, objects that you could see. Uh, and then uh, in Ezekiel 23, uh, verse 14, uh, we see uh, images of, of men. Uh, but she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall of uh, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, red, uh, wearing belts on their waists, uh, with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea, Chaldeans. Uh, and so uh, here... Uh, it was a, a sort of uh, sculpture uh, engraved and carved into the, the wall uh, that they, they would uh, create. Uh, Lamar Eugene Cooper in his commentary on Ezekiel uh, calls it a, a bass relief. Uh, and so it, just sort of, of uh, statues, slightly three-dimensional uh, kind of a, a stone picture uh, of uh, these Chaldeans, uh, of these uh, soldier types. Uh, and then, uh, finally, uh, the, this phrase, uh, in our image, uh, with the, the preposition in, uh, it's parallel uh, to uh, the, the tabernacle in Exodus 25, verse 40. Uh, there's a very similar expression uh, where it reads, uh, it shall be made uh, with all the, the utensils. And so I talk about the lampstands and everything that's to be in God's tabernacle, the, uh, the, the tent where his uh, ark, uh, the ark of the covenant dwelt in his, his glory where the priest ministered. Uh, it shall be made with all th these utensils out of a talent of pure gold and see that you make them after the pattern or in the pattern uh, uh, for them uh, which is being shown you on the mountain. Uh, Matthew's comments, yet there is one place in the Pentateuch uh, where a similar correspondence between heaven and earth, as in uh, Genesis 1, verse 26, is described. The Mosaic tabernacle was made after the pattern, uh, in the uh, same, same preposition we have in Genesis. Uh, the Mosaic tabernacle is made after the pattern of a heavenly original. While not conclusive, it commends taking the preposition in similarly. Thus, both man and, and tabernacle are earthly icons of heavenly uh, realities. 
Uh, and so uh, here he's just saying that man's made uh, to correspond to uh, and to uh, represent God uh, as a finite, a temporal being that's dependent on, on God. Uh, and he is not God, but he's to be a, a representative of God and to be uh, similar to him in, in some ways. Uh, and then the word uh, likeness uh, is pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, and so dictionary of biblical languages, Hebrew, uh, likeness, uh, that is, that which has a sim- similarity or comparison. And so it's similar to something. It's comparable uh, to it. It has some sort of correspondence, a Bible sense lexicon, a similarity in appearance, character, or nature between persons or things. Uh, and so just where two things can have uh, similarities uh, between uh, different things, whether it's their appearance or character or, or nature. And uh, God is invisible. He has no appearance. So obviously man uh, doesn't look like God, uh, but he's a representative and he's similar in other uh, ways. Uh, and so uh, now we know that man corresponds or resembles God uh, in, in some ways. Now that it leads us to the question of uh, how, how is that? How is, how is man similar to God? Now, this has often been characterized uh, as there being uh, two uh, primary views. Uh, I'm going to quibble with this uh, in a bit, but I'll I'll at least let you know of what uh, what these two views are often considered. Uh, An ontological view and a functional view. Uh, An ontology just has to do with the being of something, uh, its existence, its uh, nature, its uh, its essence, uh, what makes it it, what makes God, God. Uh, and so with this uh, ontological view, uh, Matthew says, uh, traditionally commentators have said that the image must consist of non-corporeal features. Uh, that just means uh, not pertaining to uh, a bodily form, uh, such as uh, moral intellectual and personality characteristics uh, that are shared uh, with God. Uh, And so uh, these would be uh, sorts of uh, internal uh, characteristics uh, such as a moral, intellectual, uh, and personality. Uh, Personality just being a quality of persons, being able to, to relate to one another and having a personal identity. Uh, so, for example, uh, some uh, would would say that a man, uh, similar to God, but in a finite way, a man is a, a rational being. He's a rational agent. Uh, agent is just someone who acts, uh, someone who uh, who uh, acts in the world. And he's a rational agent, someone that has a reason, uh, someone that has a purpose, uh, creativity. Uh, advanced communication, uh, personal relations between uh, other other persons, 
Uh, and I, I think we probably see some of these things uh, in, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2. And we'll look in a moment. Uh, also, they'd say that uh, some of them, and uh, with this you have to realize that there can be a lot of disagreement on what exactly, how does man correspond? If it's these internal characteristics, uh, which of them is it? And th- there can be a, quite a bit of disagreement and, and back and forth trying to figure out uh, which it is. A man is also a, a moral agent. Uh, he is capable of understanding uh, what is good and what is evil. He's under capable of understanding God's will and commandments uh, and responding accordingly, either obeying or uh, or disobeying. And so he's a, a moral agent, a moral a creator. He has a, a conscience. Uh, and then, uh, with the functional view, uh, the, the first view had to do with uh, spiritual or immaterial uh, properties of, of the person, as uh, Matthew says. Uh, the, the functional view, uh, this is how Eugene Merrill uh, explains it in uh, an article uh, entitled Image of God in Dictionary of the Old Testament Pentateuch. Uh, he says, uh, an alternative understanding of the meaning of the imago Dei, the image of God, uh, is that humankind is not in the image, but is in fact the image. Uh, humanity does not so much share with God his essential reality, so what God makes God God, those, those characteristics of God, those uh, attributes, uh, but uh, rather is a representative of the reality. That is, humankind has a functional role to play, uh, a role that requires no ontological, pertaining to being, commonness uh, with a God. And so uh, he has a, a role to play as a, a, a ruler. Uh, he has a function uh, of, of ruling uh, throughout the, the creation. And so uh, this is the Imago Dei. This is the, uh, the image of uh, God. Uh, however, uh, I believe that this is, uh, first off, that the, the functional view uh, is somewhat poorly described as, as just being purely functional. I, I think it's somewhat of a false dichotomy, a false uh, either or, either this or that, uh, nothing, nothing in between. Uh, so, for instance, uh, if God bestows uh, upon man uh, in Genesis, uh, which I, I believe he does, we'll, we'll be looking at this, uh, he bestows man with honor, uh, dignity, authority, and a lofty position of, of rulership over the, the creatures in the creation. Uh, can you call this a strictly functional role? That he, he just functions this way. It's, it's just a role. Uh, doesn't man actually uh, possess uh, honor uh, and dignity uh, and authority uh, and the position of rulership that, that God has bestowed on him, uh, it doesn't seem to be just describing how man functions in, in the creation, uh, but uh, how, how God has made him and what he has uh, bestowed upon him. And so uh, it's somewhat functional, but can, can you really just describe it as just purely functional, just a, just a role? Uh, and then uh, if God bestows uh, honor, dignity, uh, authority, uh, and uh, rulership, uh, upon man, uh, 
wouldn't we also expect God to equip him with the, the capacities and the, the attributes necessary uh, for ruling and representing God uh, in the creation? Uh, God does everything with, uh, with a purpose. And so if he uh, creates man to rule, uh, wouldn't this have some implications for he give him the capacities to, uh, to rule? Uh, so, for example, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 19... Uh, we'll look at this a little more in a moment. Uh, but uh, God uh, creates the animals uh, and brings them before uh, Adam uh, and has him a name of the animals. Well, what does God do in Genesis chapter 1 in the first three days? Uh, he names uh, about uh, five times, as I recall. Uh, he names the light and the darkness and uh, the, the heavens and the, the earth and the, the seas. Uh, and so God's exercising authority. He's, uh, he's naming, uh, but Adam must be able to speak uh, and exercise authority uh, and recognize these things, uh, uh, or else he, he couldn't exercise his authority. He, he must be able to speak. Uh, God is a speaking God, uh, and he's made man uh, to, to speak and to, to communicate. And God communicates with man through a language. And so uh, you, you see both authority, uh, but God also provides the, the capacities and uh, certain characteristics. And so Eugene Merrill uh, says, uh, the full significance of the Imago Dei, the image of God, uh, must, it seems, be drawn from both these notions. Uh, humankind is in the image of God, but also serves as the image. Humans have resemblance to God, even if limited, but stand in God's place in the administration of God's uh, creation. And so now I want to focus a little more on the, the text and just some of the, the similarities that Moses focuses on. Uh, and it's important to recognize Moses doesn't set out to give a comprehensive or detailed list of all the ways that man is made to be similar to God. Uh, and so we, we don't want to go into to deep speculation uh, about these things. Uh, and I also think it's important to recognize uh, some uh, will compare man to animals and think where we find the differences between man and animals, uh, there you have the likeness to God. There's the image of God. Uh, and I think there's some truth to this. And we, we even see a man is compared. He is set apart from the animals uh, in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, however, uh, the, the angels also, uh, it seems from scripture, are uh, able to uh, communicate. They're able to reason. They're able to speak. Uh, they are moral beings. They can obey uh, and disobey uh, God. And so they're rational and moral. Uh, and so if you just reduce the image of God just to these uh, sorts of, sorts of uh, in, intrinsic ideas, uh, then you'd end up with angels being in the image of God, but I don't believe that scripture teaches that. So we want to pay attention to, uh, to Moses' emphasis uh, on this uh, issue and not, not overly uh, speculate. Uh, and so I, I think in a number of places, uh, like I alluded to, that uh, Moses tends to emphasize right along with when he talks about the image and the likeness uh, the honor, dignity, and authority, and dominion or rulership uh, of man uh, that, that God has granted him. Uh, God is a king. He's 
uh, the ultimate king over uh, absolutely everything, over all of creation. Uh, and man is also made uh, to be a king and a, a ruler of sorts. He gives man to rule over the earth uh, on uh, his behalf. And so uh, pay attention to some of these close ideas of image and likeness uh, tied to the themes of dominion and blessing. Uh, Let's look first at Genesis 1, verse 26. Uh, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And now, uh, right away, right after it, uh, God's going to give, give dominion. Uh, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And now we're back to the image of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish uh, of the sea and over the birds. Uh, And so God's blessing uh, enables uh, what he commands. He secures uh, that man uh, will take dominion. That he will rule uh, on behalf of God. And you you find the back and forth uh, between these ideas. The the image uh, and likeness of God. uh, And the uh, authority uh, that a man uh, uh, bears. And I'm sure it includes the capacity uh, to to rule. Uh, a man is like God in other ways, uh, but perhaps Moses' chief emphasis uh, is on uh, the authority uh, and dignity that God has given man, uh, where uh, God is the supreme ruler, uh, but man is also made to uh, to mimic God and has been created as a a ruler with authority over the earth. Uh, and also in Genesis one. Uh, this comes at the, the very end of the ch- chapter. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation uh, and the image uh, in man's uh, dominion uh, is essential to God's purpose in creation, to bring uh, flourishing uh, to his creatures, to bring flourishing uh, to man uh, and to bring a blessing. It's the very content of his blessing and uh, to uh, bring glory to God. Uh, and then in Genesis 2, uh, beginning in, uh, actually, let's start a little bit earlier. Starting in uh, 15, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, so now he's in, in the land. Uh, it's a section of, of land uh, where he's to exercise a dominion and, and authority to, to work it and to, to keep it. The man is responsible uh, for uh, the land, the, the garden of, of Eden, the, the garden, uh, as I recall, the garden of delight. Uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, uh, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Uh, And then in uh, verse 18, uh, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens 
and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Uh, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so we see him naming and exercising his, his dominion and authority uh, very much like God, in the image of God, then after his likeness. A man uh, names and uh, he mimics God. He's to rule on behalf of God as his, his representative, his uh, his vice region, his uh, steward. Uh, and then uh, in Genesis 9, uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, we're going to see these themes again of image and likeness and dominion uh, and blessing and the, the dignity of man. Uh, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, uh, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing uh, that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Uh, and so they're all delivered into the, the hand of man, all of the, the, the creatures uh, in, in the earth and he, he tells them to, to be fruitful and multiply it's part of, uh, part of uh, their dominion and authority and rulership uh, and we see that even after the fall uh, and even after the flood a man is still uh, made in the image uh, and after the likeness of, of God that, that doesn't just uh, vanish and disappear uh, and then uh, he says uh, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, uh, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, for God made man in his own image. Uh, and you be fruitful and multiply increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Uh, and so uh, here we see uh, the, uh, the, the dignity of man uh, to uh, actually uh, assault uh, the one on whom God has placed his imprint, his stamp, uh, is actually an assault on a God. Uh, man is God's uh, image uh, bearer. Uh, and even the, the beasts uh, and man, anyone who kills a man, uh, it's, it's murder and their, their life uh, is uh, to uh, be taken. Uh, and then uh, the, the final passage, and then we'll, we'll look at one, uh, one quote from Matthews, uh, is Psalm 8, uh, verses 3 through 9. Uh, where David is reflecting on the creation account uh, and on uh, the creation of, of man. And uh, here how he, he focuses on uh, the, the dignity and honor of man uh, and also of his, uh, his dominion. When I look at your heavens, uh, the work of your fingers, uh, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, of the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And so he marvels how God uh, could do this for little lowly man uh, in the creation. Uh, when, when he looks at the, the stars and all the, the works uh, of, of God's fingertips, very fingertips, he, he creates the stars. Uh, but uh, he crowned man with glory and honor and he uh, gave him dominion over all of the, the works of, of his hands. And so I think that this is Moses' primary emphasis but uh, it also has uh, implications for other things uh, in which uh, God is, or which man uh, is made to be uh, like a God. Now, finally, I'll, I'll read a extended quote by Matthews, just explaining some of the cultural background and some of these ideas of, of rulership and the culture around them, uh, but then in the, the culture of the Israelites them, themselves. Matthew says, uh, Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 28, concerns itself primarily uh, with the consequence of this special creation, uh, the rule of human life over the terrestrial order, rather than defining the identity of uh, the image. Uh, and terrestrial order is just the, the earth, uh, the, the earth below. In the ancient Near East, it is widely believed that kings represented the patron deities of their nations or city-states. Uh, among the Mesopotamians and Canaanites, uh, royal figures were considered sons uh, adopted by the gods to function as vice-regents and intermediaries uh, between deity and society. Uh, Egyptian society recognized Pharaoh as divine, uh, who was Horus, in life and Osiris in death. Uh, some royal stele, uh, those are uh, stone pillar monuments with uh, inscriptions on them, uh, describe the king as the image of God. Uh, rulers were responsible for the equilibrium between nature and society uh, through securing the favor of the gods. Uh, also, justice and the well-being of society were dependent upon the administration of the king's rule. A royal imagery was used to describe the Hebrew king as the appointed son of Yahweh, who ruled in his name. Uh, and he points to 2 Samuel 7 and uh, Psalms 2, 72 and 89. Uh, and then he goes on. Uh, the language of uh, verse 26 uh, reflects this idea of a royal figure representing God as his appointed ruler. Uh, this appears also to be the understanding of Psalm 8, 
uh, which focuses on human dominion, though without explicit mention of the image or likeness. Uh, this is further indicated by the term rule uh, in verses 26 and 28 in Genesis 1, uh, which is uh, used commonly of royal dominion, a uh, human jurisdiction over animate life uh, in the skies, waters, and land corresponds to the rule of the sun and moon over the inanimate sphere of creation. Our passage declares that all people, not just kings, have the special status of royalty in the eyes of God. Uh, it is striking that God consigns jurisdiction to one of his creatures, uh, since the major tenant of uh, Genesis chapter 1 uh, is the sovereignty of God's creative word. Uh, it was this feature of creation that so astonished the psalmist, for him, the infinite one, crowned human infancy with the glory of his rule. Uh, the supreme value God places on human life is also reflected in uh, in Genesis 9, uh, verses 5 through 6, whereas an animal may be wrongly brutalized, uh, it is the taking of human life that merits the charge murderer. Uh, and so this shows the, the dignity uh, of humanity as God has bestowed his image and likeness uh, on a man. Uh, and with the, the first man, uh, Adam, uh, he was given dominion and authority uh, over the land in the garden and uh, over the, the beasts. Uh, but uh, he uh, rebelled uh, against uh, his creator. Uh, he was to rule on behalf of God. Uh, but he rebelled uh, against him, uh, bringing a, a curse upon him, upon the earth, uh, upon the land that he was to rule uh, over, uh, and uh, all, of, all of creation. Uh, and in uh, Adam, uh, all humans uh, fell. Uh, all humans uh, have sinned. Uh, they... Uh, they have transgressed God's law, uh, and they bear the, the penalty uh, of condemnation. Uh, but uh, God sent the, the second Adam, uh, the, the second man, the second representative of a new humanity uh, that will be created in his image and likeness, uh, and that's the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, he came, as I said, to represent uh, his people, uh, all who will uh, turn from their sins, acknowledge that they have rebelled against God, they have rebelled against uh, God's law, uh, his law uh, written in his word, his law uh, written on their hearts. Uh, and if they uh, will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then he will save them. He came to uh, live the perfect life uh, and to be uh, the, the sinless bearer of sin. Uh, he bore their sins uh, on the cross and he was buried and died, uh, raised again for their justification. Uh, and then he was seated at the right hand of God uh, where he rules and reigns until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And he is going to come again uh, to uh, judge humanity and judge the world in righteousness 
uh, and to redeem those uh, who trust in him. Uh, And one day uh, he will uh, renew them. Uh, He will uh, glorify them and give them glorified bodies. Uh, He will uh, renew them and create them uh, in his his image, uh, which is superior uh, to the image of the first man uh, because he is sinless and perfect in righteousness. Uh, And one day, uh, those who trust in him uh, as sons and daughters of God uh, will become fellow uh, heirs with Christ and uh, they will be righteous and they will uh, reign and rule over the earth in perfect uh, communion and harmony uh, with God. Uh, And so uh, that's the the day that we uh, look forward to uh, and we see God's purposes in creation uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and played out through all of history uh, and through all of scripture uh, culminating in the uh, the, the Son of God uh, who is uh, the image of God, the very image uh, who is the exact uh, imprint uh, of his uh, nature. He's uh, the eternal God. He is uh, Yahweh. Uh, and so uh, let's just uh, pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word and uh, for all that we've uh, been able to, to learn from your word in, uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, and that you've bestowed such uh, such dignity and honor upon a man and created him to uh, to resemble you in, uh, in a diversity of ways and uh, also to uh, rule and have authority uh, over the the earth as uh, you have given him uh, and to uh, be a, a king and a, a ruler in a very finite and limited way as uh, you are the supreme king and ruler over all things and I pray that you would conform us to the likeness of your son that you would uh, make us to, uh, to to love your will and to uh, love the, the law that you uh, write on our hearts the, the law of Christ and that you Produce in us through through your spirit and solely by your grace, and we pray that you would uh, cause these things to uh, dwell in our hearts, and that we'd uh, think on them and talk about them with one another and with our families and brothers and sisters in Christ. And I uh, pray that you would uh, bless us and build us up in in your word. And uh, we pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen.